Possibilities, a podcast for those who are ready to evolve into unstoppable, intuitive, and resilient entrepreneurial leaders. Every episode features successful business thought leaders who share their wisdom about insightful topics that help you amplify how you do business and serve yourself and others. Get comfortable and have fun as you listen to your host, Terry Wilderman, have lively conversation with her guest. Here's Terry. Welcome, everyone, to Awaken the Possibilities. This is Terry Wilderman bringing you dynamic, interactive conversation. Today, I have a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal person who shares my love of heart centered leadership. You know, when I saw some of the things that he was writing, I thought, I have to have this gentleman on my show because he truly follows my perspective, my ideals, and my values when it comes to empowering leaders and helping them be the best that I that they can be, which in turn helps you be the best that you can be. So I'd like to introduce you to Mark Crowley, who is the author of Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st century. His book has been taught in nine American universities and his leadership podcast has an audience of 140 countries. He is a pioneer in advocating for bringing the heart into balance with the mind in workplace leadership. Welcome to the show, Mark. It is so exciting to have you here. Thank you so very much, Terry. My pleasure. So Mark, I'm curious, how did you get involved with heart-centered leadership? Oh, that's such an easy question to answer. <laughs> it's really, it truly, it's an evolution of my entire life existence. Uh, and so the, the nomenclature of heart-based leadership or lead from the heart is truly something that never came out of my mouth for, you know, most of my career. It wasn't until I looked back on what I was doing and fully understood why I was doing it and what the impacts were that I realized I'm affecting the hearts in people. And from there, I went looking for the science to validate it. But I, you know, working backwards here, I'll tell you how I got here, but I will tell you that in the process of writing the book, I had these piles and the piles were the chapters, and the chapters were what ultimately became the second half of the book. I never had any intention of writing the first half of the book. So I'm having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he said, you know you're going to have to explain why all this works, right? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, people are going to think they needed to have a shitty childhood in order to lead this way. <laughs> and so... I'm going to, I'll tell you a little bit about the upbringing, but when he said it to me, it was a, oh my God, like I'd given no thought to this and B, like, he's right. Like, you know, like I can't just take it. People aren't going to take me seriously. If I just go here, take me, take my word, you're going to have to write some explanation for this. So sitting exactly where I am, I started pondering this, like, what was the impact of this? Like, why was what I was doing as a leader? impacting people so profoundly where they just beat a path to work for me and did extraordinary things and didn't really matter what job family people had you know it wasn't male or female it wasn't young or old or educated or not educated it was everyone responded the same way so it was human deeply human 
and it was consistent through the course of my career. So it didn't matter, matter what level they were in, you know, so as I progressed in my career, I'm managing people at all different levels and all different responsibilities and everyone responded the same. So I realized, okay, what is it? What did I do? What was I doing in terms of affecting people? Nice. And it boiled down to this epiphany that I was affecting the hearts in people, which should sound really great, right? Except I went in and told my wife at the end of the day, I said, I've wasted a year of my life because now that I understand what I've done, no one's going to take me serious. In the world that I just came from, financial services, where I was hugely successful, no one ever looked under the hood and said, what's Mark Crowley doing to get these great performances? They just took it a great, he's a good leader, he's a good manager. That's where they left it. So you come out with a book called Bleed from the Heart and all of a sudden people are going to go, like, is he a religious guy now? Like, did he have a, like a spiritual meltdown or transformation? I'm not kidding. A lot of cynicism around this, right? You're preaching to the choir, Mark. So, <laughs> I had a business yeah. called Heart-Centered Success. Trust so, me, I get it. I, I, uh, I, wasted I get it. There's no way I'm going to write a book called Lead from the Heart or anything yeah. close to that. And she goes, well, didn't you already prove it worked? Like, don't yeah. you know it's true? And Smart lady. And that's when I realized, okay, I got to go figure this thing out. So long and short of it is that uh, my mom died when I was very young. My father was a very highly successful person. One of the top people in General Electric, created General Electric Credit Corporation. Mm, He was a serious alcoholic and a psychologically and emotionally abusive person who beat down my spirit to a point where... Um, you know, just getting up in the morning was the best that I could do. And then right after high school, thinking that, you know, I'm going to try to go off to college and just figure it out. He kicked me out of the house with no warning, no financial support, no emotional support, no, please, you know, you're still your dad, come home on Sundays and I'm still here for you. It was over in an instant. Wow. So from that point forward, you know, he, he told me repeatedly that I would never amount to anything that, you know, that I was, fun, I fundamentally lacked. That was his language. And by telling me that I would never amount to anything, I, I basically equivocated that to the extent that I could succeed in college. If I did, I wouldn't be the failure he predicted. And if I didn't graduate, then I would. That's how my mind worked at the time. So I was really determined for my own salvation, my own survival to get through college. Mm-hmm. And so so was, how did you get yourself through college? Um, I don't, you know, I, I just wrote a professor of mine, you know, 30 years ago, he's now retired emeritus professor and said, you know, I literally didn't show up for class for like two and a half weeks because it was an eight o'clock in the morning and I was just like completely exhausted. And the guys, the professor's like, somebody find that guy and get him back into class. He's a good guy, you know, and mm, like years yeah. old. And he didn't know my story, but you know, I literally had to thank him. And he, he goes, I had no idea that what's going on in your life. I, it was just, it was sheer determination to be honest with you. Good and I got you. into a rhythm. Ultimately I got into a rhythm where it was, you, you get up in the morning, you go to school, then you go to work all day and then you go back to school and you study until midnight and then you do it again. And it's seven days a week and you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, there were moments where I was 
terrified, obviously, you know, your car breaks down, that's game over for me because I had no extra resources, nowhere to go, no extra money. Um, but somehow it just, you know, over time, I figured it out. You know, I ended up, took me five and a half years to graduate. I remember going in and getting my counselor and the counselor goes, where do you think you are? And I said, well, I think I'm heading into my senior year. And she goes, you would be if you hadn't taken a lot of the wrong classes. So, oh my goodness. So it was just, I had nobody there to direct me and guide yeah. me, you know? And so I had to figure it out. But um, this was a path that I was supposed to take. I think that's really the conclusion. I had to have my mom die when I was very young. I had to have the abusive father in order to truly embody the message that I'm, you know, really trying to convey to people. Well, I like to say that you're not trying, you are. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So, uh, Mark, one of the things I know about you is that you have a phenomenal story about going to Hawaii, which just cracked me up. Um, and it contributed a little bit to you uh, moving in the direction of where you are now. Can you share that story with us? So the background is, is that I spent my largest part of my career in financial services. So banking, stockbrokers, that all that kind of stuff, right? So this is a very aggressive sales culture, you know, dog eat dog kind of a world. And I thrived in that, not because I you know, sort of competed at that level, but because I was able to lead people in a way that got people to perform without having to kill them, you know, without having to manipulate them or manage them with fear and intimidation. So I'm getting great results. And so the chairman of our company, this was 50,000 employees, said, I want to identify who the next senior leaders are going to be. And so he, he had a group of people handpick, you know, about two dozen people that were asked to go to Hawaii for a week. And this was, he was gonna be there. He was gonna give his special attention. So we stayed at the Four Seasons. It was done, you know, extremely well. And the first night that we were there happened to be Mardi Gras. So it was a, you know, Wednesday in March. And uh, so they had this huge party with, you know, fire, fire eaters and people on stilts and jugglers. And so everybody's walking around with drinks and they've got music playing. And so they've got a tarot card reader and everybody's lined up for the tarot card reader. So I sit down with the tarot card reader. She asked me to take a few cards. And so I give it to her and she asked me what I do for a living. And I said, well, everybody here is a banker. So you don't need to ask anybody else this question. And she goes, well, you're not supposed to be a banker. That's not who you are. And I thought, mm. well, that's interesting. There's sort of like this knowing this, even though I'd spent 20 plus years of my career in banking, there was something that sort of resonated. So then we kept moving around and going to different stations and the chairman ended up talking and about an hour and a half later, now I'm sitting down at the palm reader table and the palm reader asked me the same question and then gives me the same answer. She goes, that's not who you were put on this planet to be. You're not a banker. And I don't imagine you're going to be a banker much longer. 
And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm here so that I could get promoted. I'm good. This is where my future is. But then I looked at her and I go, well, are you talking to the tarot card reader? Because she said the same thing. Like I was totally suspicious that they were in cahoots, you know, like, and for what reason, who knows? But, you know, it all seemed very, you know, uh, you know, not above board. And I told my wife, I said, you know, this is unusual. And she goes, don't you think that, that there's some truth in that? Like, aren't you like aware at this point that you're not from that world? And so it just sort of, I think, you know, as I look back on that, it was sort of the first introduction that the universe gave me that said, hey, this is just a stepping stone for where you're headed. Well, I'm curious, was it really the first introduction or the one that finally got your attention? No, I don't know the answer. <laughs> Because um, the reason I'm saying that is, you know, I have my angels behind me. You see them very clearly over here, you know, and uh, with the angel cards underneath. And I've got my left brain, very left brained. Here's when the student's ready. You know, I, I, I think if, if it's true that I needed to go through a certain sequence, I had to live that sequence. So of course. if I had too many tarot card readers telling me that <laughs> along the way, I may have been derailed from what I was supposed to learn, you know? So- And that is, you know, that's a very brilliant comment because I, I think a lot of us forget that where we are now is an inward journey that starts at birth. And as leaders, it's important for us to recognize that we are given all the tools that we need when it's time for us to be completely visible. And it was time for you to become completely visible and you got hit over the head uh, by those two folks. And I love the story of how you put your book together. So I know that part of your book um, in, in putting it together you connected with an organization that I'm certified with and I've been working with since 2001. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so you'll, you'll find this whole process rather interesting here because um, again, it happened in a way that, you know, is all synchronistic. It's all- Of course it is. <laughs> so while I was at my organization, I was a senior vice president and I had a million dollar life insurance that the company paid for. So if anything happened to me, my wife would be, family would be protected, right? So I needed to, when I left, I needed to replace that life insurance policy. My brother-in-law happens to own an insurance agency. So he said, I'll do it for you. I'll take care of it. Um, I'm going to have somebody come out to the house. So the nurse came out and did all the, you know, all the tests that they do. And I've, you know, run marathons. I'm a very healthy guy. And so about a week later, my brother-in-law calls me up and he says, I'm not bullshitting you. You've got to get to the hospital. The insurance company just called and said, not only are they not going to insure you, but you have a serious heart problem. And I thought, well, there's just no, there's no indication of that. So I, I didn't really take it seriously, but of course you're worried, right? So I schedule an appointment and I don't have, my doctor has retired. So I've got a brand new doctor. So I'm explaining to him what's going on. And he goes, well, I got an EKG in the office. Let's just run it. So he runs it and he goes, I got good news for you. You're in such good shape for your age that they misinterpreted the data. I'll write them a letter. You'll get your insurance. So I said, okay, nice. So nice. I'm done. He goes, but I'm your new doctor. And uh, I need to know about you. So what do you do for a living? And I said, wait a minute. 
I've been trying to find like a heart surgeon or a cardiologist to speak to about this book that I'm writing. And this is what I'm trying to do with the book. And he goes, huh. He goes, there's a woman here at our, at our hospital and she's just written a book and it, it relates to some of this. So she, he says, I'll introduce you to her. So her name is Dr. Mimi Ganeri. And she, it was, she's a world-class cardiologist, graduated top of her class at NYU Medical School, that kind of a person. And so I wrote her a letter and said, this is my story. And her, interestingly, she got into becoming a heart surgeon because both her mother and father had massive heart attacks in their 40s and died. So wow. she wanted to heal the world and became this great cardio surgeon. So I wrote to her and said, this is my thesis, is there any science that could validate this? So I, she called me, they called me and said, she wants to talk to you. So this is in my own hometown. This is La Jolla, California, Scripps Clinic. I go meet her and she's the head of the Center for Integrative Health. She's a disciple of Andrew Weil. She's the real deal. I walk in, messy office. She doesn't get out of her chair. She just looks at me and she goes, Mr. Crowley, you figured out something we're just figuring out ourselves in medicine. I had tears coming down my eyes. I didn't know what she was going to tell me. All I knew was she was going to validate everything that I had been my whole life. So she said, you know, we've, we believe that the heart was just a pump for 300 years. And we're really discovering that that's simply not true. So what she said was, I want to introduce you to an organization that can help you because I believe in what you're talking about. I think you're on the, you are on the cutting edge of where leadership needs to go. And so she introduced me to the, the Institute of Heart Math. And at that point, they had been studying the intelligence of the heart for about 20 years. Yes, and one of their co-founders, um, she introduced me to, and he goes, let's just, you know, let's just you and I talk. So we set up several different conversations just like this. And I asked him questions and I asked him about the, the heart and how, what they had understood. And so the core of the book, no pun intended, um, is this fourth chapter, which is all about the intelligence of the heart. Yeah. So I'm not talking about a metaphorical heart. A lot of people think that when people talk about the heart now in business, by the way, when the book came out, People thought it was completely stupid. Like, what, you know, what year did your book come out? 2011. So it's been nine years. Okay. And when it came out, I mean, people literally were like, that's dead on arrival with an idea like that, right? Yes, it is. But the science is the science. And this is what people don't understand when they, because people are using this word heart now all of a sudden, and they really mean it metaphorically. And I'm saying, no, that. Feelings and emotions drive human behavior and that the heart and the mind are connected and that what goes on in the heart, what the heart experiences is playing a profound role in shaping our behaviors, our choices, our decisions, so that if you are giving people this experience of positive emotions by caring about them, by nurturing them, by coaching them and teaching them and helping them to identify a purpose and meaning in what they're doing, recognizing them, appreciating them, making them feel safe, all of those kinds of things is this steady, steady, steady drip of what human beings need in order to thrive. 
So yeah. we put people under fear. We people, you know, we we keep people under our thumb. We want people to be a little bit afraid in work, and all that is negative emotions that's affecting the heart. And people, what they do is they retreat, or they want revenge. They're not going to be committed to work. They're not going to be inspired. So everything that we've been doing for you know couple hundred years in terms of how we manage people is the antithesis to what leads to human thriving. Absolutely. That's the message that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convey to people is that. Well, you are, you're not trying, you are. Well, what I mean (laughs) trying is that, you know, there's just some people that aren't going to listen to the conversation because they won't get on a rival for them, you know, you know, and I started teaching these concepts uh, in, I, uh, the heart math solution you and I were sharing. I was in the hospital, got out of the hospital uh, after a uh, thinking I was having a heart attack. And I went and I had to go to the bookstore when I got out of the ER and the heart math solution landed in my lap. And I got certified with the, with heart math in 2001 as a heart math coach. So I'm way ahead of you where heart math is concerned and sharing these concepts with people. They looked at me like I had three heads on my shoulders. They could not understand the concept, even based in science. They refused to believe that the heart was what was actually sending more messages to the brain than the brain was to the heart. And as I shared with folks, I said, the heart is the very first organ in the body. It appears in the body and it's from the heart that all the other organs begin to manifest and begin to grow. And the heart energy can be measured six to 10 feet, if not further from the body in a 360 degree circumference. And the brain, it's only two inches. So what does that tell you about the power of the heart? So when we connect the knowledge and the insight that's up here with the knowledge and the insight that's in our heart, a heart that is a the most powerful pump in the world. It people is the don't most... want to, many people just simply don't want to believe it. You know, no, they, they do not. You know, it sounds too woo-woo. It sounds, you know, and, and unfortunately, the, the word heart has a lot of different meanings for people. So the, the definition that you might have in your mind of heart might be very different from mine, from somebody else's, but invariably outside of people who are, you know, invested in this, who've studied mm-hmm. it, when you yes. mention heart, it becomes Valentine's, it becomes that mushy kind of thing that's not really what I'm talking about. And I think right. we go back now in terms of talking about my journey, the, my value is I'm a man who used to manage thousands of stockbrokers who in a dog eat dog, you know, you don't make any money unless you sell something kind of environment. I proved that this actually gets greater performance. So nobody can come to me and say, well, your heart that sounds soft and, you know, weak and sentimental. I'm like, okay, it might, but here's why it doesn't. And here's my own experience so that right. I can talk to a CEO and they can't, they can't go, well, that sounds, you know, really weak. Like, okay, that, that may be what you think instinctively, but that's just not my own experience. So unfortunately, if a, a woman saying heart, it gets them in trouble because they already are seen to be more soft than men, right? You know, and then a man says it, and then it's like, what's wrong with that guy? Like, yeah. I'll tell you what made the difference where heart math is concerned. What made the difference with heart math was using the M-Wave, the software that they have, and people could actually see how their heart rate variability changed by doing the simple heart math techniques. 
that, that uh, the simple techniques that HeartMath teaches. So when you put that in front of people, especially when you're giving a webinar or a training and, and you have someone sitting up front and you have them put their finger on the, uh, uh, I forget what the thing is called, on, on the thumb piece. Uh, and people see how just using these very simple techniques reduces the heart rate variability and it turns into a nice smooth piece. And you tell them, I said, is heart, you know, do you want heart disease or not? That kind of proof, you cannot fight against that because but they I'm visually not, are seeing it. I'm really not in that world. Like that's not, so I, I totally understand the, the technology that they're Yeah, using. I know you do. But I'm not, that's not where I go. So ah, um, okay. you know, the minute I start to veer into you know, heart disease. The science. You know, then, yeah. well, science is critically important. It's just, it's, it's a dimension of heart mass work that I'm just not getting into. What I'm really trying to say to people is just, if you want to be, if you want people to perform for you, isn't it better that you base your practices on what res people respond best to? Yes. Or to what you think they're going to respond best to, because we think that we need to squeeze people in order to get the best productivity, right? We need to, somebody was telling me, I, I interact with students, there's several universities that are using my book, and a couple of them I actually have a lot of integration with the students, and I read some of their work and talk to them, and one of the students was telling me that when they were sent home for COVID, that the company said, because you don't have a commute now, we expect you to work one more hour extra a day. And I'm just like, wow, we like, so you're entitled to take more from people. This is a mindset that is so flawed. It right? is. It really, you and know, it's to me, it, it's, there's one word when it comes to intuitive leadership, heart-centered leadership, uh, as there's one big, big word, and that's kindness. And kindness, when you treat people kindly, so they respond kindly. When you treat, you know, that heart piece that you're talking about, it has been missing for years and years and years. But folks don't get that treat, treating people with kindness is a strength, it is not a weakness. You know, you're, and a lot of these very left brain folks that are pessimistic and skeptical, they tend to look at things from the, oh, what is strong? You know, that's not strong, you know, that, that, that's weak. And what they don't realize that what they present to perceive to be weak is one of the strongest things on the planet. And when you talk about heart, that heart, heart is, and, and you find metaphors, you're, you're absolutely right, you find metaphors everywhere but heart-centered success nothing is going to move heart-centered success the way um being pessimistic and judgmental and treating people poorly well heart-centered success will elevate people treating people poorly just diminishes people you are so absolutely right with well, where you're going. Hard for some, if, if your mindset our, our traditional theory of leadership is that people don't want to work. In fact, it was very interesting. We, when, ah. I was, when, I was in, when I was in banking, we hired a, he's a medical doctor. He, he and another psychologist created this training called Cohen Brown. 
and Cohen Brown, the foundational idea of Cohen Brown training, every financial institution in America, this guy got filthy rich off of selling training that was predicated on one idea, which is I can make you work harder than you will ever work on your own. And so the whole process was micromanagement. It was making commitments. So Terry, I'm going to get five loan applications for you this week. Wednesday, Terry, I've gotten two so far. I'm still on track to get the five. And then on Friday, Terry, I only got two. So now Terry goes, well, Mark, why don't you tell everybody why you didn't get five? Because you promised everybody you were going to get five. So, you know, so it's this fear and intimidation and make people feel bad when they, and it's week to week. So it doesn't take in the whole world's perspective. You know, some days are better than others and it all adds up and where are, you know, there's just no humanity to it. But this was right. a doctor saying, this is how you get there. And the reason why banks bought this is because they, the leadership of these organizations believed that if you're kind to people, they're going to they're gonna get soft around the middle and they're going to take advantage of you. They're not That's not how it works, is it? So, but unfortunately, these guys come in, they teach you how to do this. Everybody's gung-ho because the company wants it and the senior managers that are implementing this are, you know, under the microscope. So they're managing with fear and intimidation. And guess what? Performance skyrockets. I'm not kidding. Performance goes off the roof because everybody is being managed with a gun to their head. So when you first respond to that, you're going to do everything you can possibly do. But they don't realize by the time these guys have cashed their check and moved on, six months later, People are sick, they're angry, they're resentful, they're beaten down because this is not a sustainable way of managing people. It's not sustainable in any way, shape or form. Managing by fear does not work. Man leading by fear, that's not leadership. That's managing by fear. Correct. And, and fear is forgetting everything is all right. You know, people say, oh, the other acronym is, um, for fear is, um, False evidence appearing real. Uh, yeah, false evidence appearing real, which you can tell. I, I, I can never remember that one. Yeah, but forgetting everything is all right is a lot easier. <laughs> you know, what happens is, is that, so I, I was speaking to one of the largest world, you know, very, very famous insurance company that you're familiar with. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is the senior management team, just 100 people, um, CEO, the president, and the head of sales. So I'm done. We're doing Q&A. And the head of sales stands up and he goes, this is pretty amazing stuff, what you just shared. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh my God, like I've convinced them, this is fantastic. And then of course I didn't win anything. He said, but I want to tell you something. If we're in the middle of our quarter and we're not hitting our numbers, I'm going to fear. Because I know if I go to fear, if I start threatening people with their jobs, with their bonuses, with their value in this organization, mm -hmm that I'm going to hit my numbers. And I hit it every time when I do this. What do you say to that? And I said, well, did you hear anything? What I said, you know, I mean, did you listen to any of this? Because you don't realize the profound harm you're doing to people. You can't sustain this. So you may turn over that team and bring in another team, but ultimately you're going to stop attracting people because yeah. This reputation of being this ruthless, cutthroat kind of an organization. I don't know that I persuaded them, but I think yeah. this is where the world is right now, gratefully. Yeah. And I think people are beginning to say, you know, they've had all this time away from their being, you know, supervised. And they're like, 
do I want to go back yeah. to this? Do I want to go? And you know, that, that specific leader, if I were in his or her shoes, I would be saying, okay, instead of going to fear, what if we bring the team together and we discuss what can we do better? That's not, in his, we... that's not in his toolkit. He doesn't I have know it's not. I know it's not. You know, but it starts ironically. But did you ask that question to him? I'm curious. Yeah, did, did you it, ask him? It's, it starts here. It starts with, mm. I can get you to do better than you can get yourself to because I'm going to work you harder. I'm going to keep you under my thumb. And by doing that, you're going to produce more. And then he gets the evidence, just like Cohen Brown did. As soon as you know, as soon as they come in, the first quarter's results are incredible, and everybody's gone. Yeah, we need to manage people like this. Look how much more productive it is. And, and what I'm, happens at mid-year? Yeah, I mean, it starts to go down because you just mm -hmm. simply can't. It's not sustainable. It's not. Absolutely not sustainable. And if you want to create a sustainable business, it's about working with people with what I call real leadership, which is trust, honor, respect, integrity, loyalty, and love of fellow man. And when you treat people with those items and with those values, they will always step to the plate and treat and-, and Correct. As they will elevate themselves. As long as it's authentic. You can't fake this. It has to be in your you heart. You cannot. Intended, you know? Absolutely. So a lot of people you could say this to and they go, yeah, I'm on board with it. But it, it's all about how people feel. It's all about how you make people feel. And if you go through the motions and go, you know, I'm all about, you know, caring about you and supporting you. And then the next day, the decision that they make is pulls the rug out from under you. Then people, all you need is to destroy trust one time. And people That's right. no longer, you know, so... So you need a different person in leadership than what we put in there. The guy, I'm sad to say, but the guy who's running sales for that insurance company shouldn't mm -hmm. be managing people. No, he should not be. You are absolutely right. He just shouldn't be. Right. But, but he rose to the top. Why? Because he gets results. So the company- But his results are incremental. They're not, they're, they're not consistent. Cares. As long as he oh, hits the numbers, right? As long as he hits the numbers, he's their guy. Wow. Well, okay, but you're not looking at it from the point of view of what's your turnover and what are your health care and mental health care. And if you start to add all that up, if you start to add up what it costs to replace a midterm manager, okay, what it costs to uh, when they're sick away from work and you have to bring in other people, the costs involved from that kind of leadership, I'd be curious to compare that to the profits because I'm sure the profits are diminished once they start really looking at the costs of what that kind of leadership uh, does to a company. If you pose that to these kinds of people that with that kind of a mindset, they, they just, they go, well, you know, that's, that's in the future. Like, I don't need to worry about the future. Yeah. All I need to worry about is whether I hit my number right now. Nobody's holding me accountable for the mental illness cost, you know, skyrocketing in this country. Mm -hmm. This is a really fascinating thing that's happening is that mental is. cost, the health, the cost to treat mental health problems, anxiety and depression um, is 
you've got your normal healthcare costs, and then you've got your, men your mental healthcare costs. I don't know if this replicates very well, but the point is, is that the access is, it's getting to a point where we're, companies are spending more money to treat people for depression and anxiety than it is for any of the physical healthcare costs. So at some point, you're gonna have to do what you just said, which is you're gonna have to assess the end outcome here, the long-term effects. Because if you're exactly. managing people like this without caring people, it takes a toll on people, and ultimately you're going to end up paying for that. Well, all I know is that you have a mission and I have a mission, and that is to ensure that heart-based leadership gets into our entrepreneurial leaders and these companies because it is a big deal. And I wanna thank you so much for being here. And before we close up, I'd like to ask you, what is the biggest piece of advice, the most important piece of advice that you can give the Awaken the Possibilities listeners? Love your people. Mm. Um, one of the things that we know is, so my thesis is feelings and emotions drive human behavior and also that positive long-term steady drips of positive emotions is what every human being needs in order to thrive right so um and we also know that emotions are short-lived so if you and your husband get into an argument and you start throwing plates at each other right throwing them in the kitchen and they start breaking everywhere when you run out of plates you don't get in the car and go to the store come buy more, more plates come back and start it up it's like the argument is over and you move on right? right same thing is true go on a roller coaster ride and that awe and the joy and excitement those positive emotions that you're feeling in the moment you get off and you're like okay what's the next ride it's like you're you're that's over now and so the idea is it has to be steady it has to be a culture and an environment where you're getting these steady doses of or steady mm -hmm. trip, if you will, of positive emotions. Here's, here's the, the most profound thing I've ever learned. We know that all positive emotions boil down to one positive emotion. So when you're feeling awe, when you're feeling excitement, when you're feeling appreciated and joy, all of those and any other positive emotion, they're all the equivalent of love. So you don't have to say, I love you, Terry. You just have to show people by, hey, Terry, I was thinking the other day that the project that I gave you, if you took this class, it would help you tremendously. So I'll schedule you for a class next week. That's love. Terry, you know, I happened to walk by and you're having a conversation with Bill and I overheard you talk about what you've been working on and I just want you to know how much I appreciate it. That's love. And appreciation and gratitude and love, the vibration is so high. You can feel it in the room when the teams are full of appreciation, gratitude, and love. But it, the problem is, is that people hear heart and they diminish it because they think it's soft and weak. And then they hear love and it's like, oh my God. But yeah. I'm at a point now where I, I used to go, but it's business love. And now I'm like, no, it's, it's just get your head around the idea that human beings in order to thrive need love. Mm -hmm. And don't get into the romantic aspects of it. It's not what I'm talking about. It's just, yeah. do I feel safe? Do I feel about, recognized, respected, honored, valued? Am I growing? Am I appreciated? These kinds of emotions, when people have them and they can count on them, 
that's all the equivalent of love. And when people have an environment where they feel love all the time, this is when people do extraordinary things. They so absolutely do. And a phenomenal uh, example of that is Southwest Airlines. Absolutely. And I've, I've written about them in every book I have, I have done and I've written. And I just, uh, I have interviewed those employees and they always say the same thing, how much they love working for that organization because of the way they are treated. But it's really um, interesting because you've got an organization that their logo is a heart. That's right. Right. Their stock symbol is L-U-V. Mm -hmm. And so, so you'd think, and their stock performance is so much better than everybody else's. But Delta doesn't have that culture. American Airlines, United, they're dragging None people of, off. Oh, they're awful. Plane, right? <laughs> so you would think that everybody would say, well, that's their model. We should adopt it. But this they is don't. a hard hurdle for people to get over. This it really is. And I always bring Southwest Airlines up as an example of working with heart. So Mark, I really want to thank you so much for being here today. This has been a fantastic conversation. I love talking about heart and leadership. Uh, it is so, so much needed. And to my Awaken the Possibilities audience, I truly hope that you learned a little bit about the power of heart in business and how it can help you truly succeed in business and in life. How you treat people is key to not only your success, but their success. And when they're successful, successful in a positive way, you have done so much to help humanity. So I look forward to seeing you next time. And live with heart this week to your success. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Visit our website at awakenthepossibilities.com to subscribe to listen and rate our podcast on your favorite platform, such as YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Cashbox, and more. For events, business, mindset, and leadership coaching services and courses, visit our website at intuitiveleadership.com. We look forward to sharing more insightful episodes and wish you much success in your business and life.